We are the creators of our reality and life is trying to give us opportunities to show us where we're trapped or constrained. And if we honor that and, and listen, you know, because most people don't listen, they just wait for their turn to talk, the victim mentality as well. And if we really listen to life and allow it to take us where we need to go for our greatest evolution, we'll see that all the endings that come through again and again and again are really gifts for greater advancement of our evolution. Michelle Edwards. I am the author of a novel called Chronicle of Endings, but I want to continue the conversation. It's a conversation about the different endings we face across the course of our lives, and ultimately about all the beginnings that open up after. I want to speak to men because men don't always have the place or the permission to talk openly about their difficulties the way women do. But I want to speak to women too because we are all the same human beings trying to navigate the same universal human experiences. Mostly through these interviews, I want to have the opportunity to speak directly and openly with you. Each guest's experiences will allow you to reflect on your own, about the endings you have faced and the ones you are yet to face, the mindset and actions which brought these people through their difficult times will, in turn, speak to you about your own. Because whether it's a novel, a podcast, or just two mates finally speaking about things that matter over a beer. Words. Words have the power to change people, to change their lives, to change yours. So, can we talk? Okay. Hi, Jag. Welcome. How are you doing? Good. Um, welcome to Chronicle of Endings. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So, uh, Jag, why don't you tell us who you are? Introduce yourself. Okay. So, I'm an emotional and sexual trauma therapist. Those are the areas that I specialize in. Um, I work in the areas of the subconscious, linguistics, emotions, feelings, time, um, and philosophy in order to help people ease the suffering. Hmm. Okay. That's really interesting. We will talk some more about your therapy later. Mm. That's what you're doing now. Obviously, you're on Chronicle of Endings because um, you went through an ending in your life, and that was a, the ending of a career. Yep. So, ending what did of you? A lot of things. <laughs> at that time. Yeah. Well, um, tell us about the career and all of the other things that ended. Oh, so. I'll go from the start when it, when things started to come up. So I owned an investment company for eight years and I was quite successful in that. So it's making what society deems is quote unquote the ideal life, right? So I was traveling the world first class. Um, I had my gold Rolex, I had my designer clothes, my Darling Point apartment, my BMW and a lot of freedom at the time. And I remember I was driving out. I don't remember the suburb, but a friend of mine was driving me out and um, I was going to pick up these marble cubes 
for my bedside that I'd had custom made, which I think cost me $8,000 or something like that. This was like the absurd nature of it all, right? And I remember I was looking out the window of her car and looking up and she turns to me and she'd known me for ages. And um, she goes, you're really unhappy, aren't you? And I just went, I am, yeah. But I thought that by getting all these things, this stuff that I had, then that would somehow equate to me feeling happy or validated or successful and then somehow I'd be fundamentally different. I'd be changed because I'd quote unquote made it. So I was doing my place up and I walked out and I put the last piece uh, out there uh, on the TV cabinet um, and I put it down. I looked at my place and it was all done up, looked like a showroom and I just went, ah, oh, fuck, this isn't it. And it was in that moment I knew that I had to go on a journey for something deeper. Mm. So I said, right, I've got money, I've got time, I've got freedom, right, which was all good. So I thought what I'll do is I'm going to start exploring for something deeper. I've got to find my purpose in life. I, I need to find something else. This, whatever this is, this isn't it. I'm like really unhappy. I wasn't drinking, wasn't partying or anything at that point. But prior to that, I was taking drugs and partying, which – all that lavish lifestyle kind of goes hand in hand because you're just numbing out something which is unreconciled deep within you. So I decided to choose five subjects that were interesting to me at the time, which was naturopathy, motorcycles, jiu-jitsu, music, and tattooing. And so I started just to go down the path of exploring them. In that time, I moved to New Zealand because I'd stopped drinking, I'd stopped partying, and I realized the circle of people that I was around were no longer in alignment with the person that I was becoming. And so it started to grate on me, so I just needed a break. Uh, and so I went to New Zealand, and I woke up one morning, and I wrote out a number of lists. They were almost like automatic writing. I just wasn't thinking. And um, it was, you know, what do I spend most of my time researching? What am I good at? What do people come to me for? What's my natural gift? Um, what I really love? And there are elements of, you know, mysticism, communication. A lot of people come to me for advice on business relationships, mm -hmm. whatever. Anyway, there's a list of, you know, 50 or 60 different things. And I looked at it and I went, oh, I'm meant to be a therapist. And it was just right in front of me. So that was you trying to find a new path yeah. after you ended the old one and it was just a matter of coming back to what felt good and natural and interested you? That was the start of the end. That was the beginning of the end. It wasn't the full end yet because I was still in the investment game. Mm. I was still doing it. I still have my then business partner who's now not my business partner anymore. Um, we've gone our separate ways in friendship and that because you know, that's life. That's what happens. There's no ill will towards him or anything but just you know, grow people. So. I was over there and in that time I was dating a girl um, who was the same as all the other girlfriends that I'd had, um, which was starting to reveal to me patterns in life that I'd been repeating. And so I was over there and then we split up and I came back to Sydney and this is where things started to burn down around me. So I got back. Um, the first domino in my social life was uh, a good friend of mine we've since reconciled but at the time um she went off at me and was treating me she said something like you know this reminds me of when we were dating 10 years ago and i just said look that was 10 years ago i can be your justification for pain and anger if you like but i'm not going to sit around and have you keep bringing that up 10 years later and we just used to fight a lot you know it was early 20s that sort of thing you know what i mean without going too far into it 
And so I decided at that moment to walk away from that. And I said, I'm not doing this anymore with you if you're going to treat me like that. And there was radio silence there. And then I was like, ah, oh, there's something in this. And it was setting a boundary against someone that I'd let step over me again and again and again. And then so that started this wave of endings, right, with people around me. Because once I started it, boundaries are a really important thing that I bring into my therapy because I deal with a lot of people pleasers. And people pleasers are burnt out because they're constantly allowing people to step over their boundaries and not saying no. They have a trouble, they have a lot of trouble saying no. So the gift that life was giving me in this ending was I finally said no and stood up to someone that I'd never really stood up to. Well, then I became like a monster at that stuff where it was just the next thing, the next thing. And so I'd gotten to this point um, where I just said, I would rather be alone than have these people in my life. And so then it was, I cut out my mum, my dad, my sister, my twin brother, my best friend, my ex-girlfriend cheated on me. I started dating someone else, which I cut out at the same time. And so what I realized was as life goes on, the endings that come in, we often think are negative, right? Because we want to stay in what's familiar. But what I said at this point was, like I said before, I'd rather be alone than have this toxic stuff in my life anymore. And so what I realized is an ending is actually a beginning. And through eliminating this, I was confident enough to say, I'm going to go through the world on my own. I don't care anymore, but I'm not going to be in a situation that victimizes me any longer. And so I got through that. And what happened is this gift that life gave me was like these new people came in and filled the places that the old people didn't. But they were people that I now consider family that I never thought that I could ever have, right? So that was one part of it. And during this time, I was studying a Bachelor of Integrative Psychotherapy. And um, as I was doing that, all this burning down was going on. You know, I nearly lost my eye in an accident. I broke my ribs as well. And then I was dating someone who she was super chaotic and was saying all this stuff that I was in a really vulnerable place. Um, and she was kind of like my quote unquote ideal woman. You know, she was a model and a psychologist and really successful entrepreneur. So my idealistic old self, which was burning down, would have seen this as like the perfect woman for me. Um, and so through that, I realized she was exhibiting more extreme behavior than all the other girls that I dated before. So I was like, oh, now I've got to cut this person off too. So these endings that were coming about through this year were getting more and more pronounced and more and more obvious to me. And so then that left, uh, and then the real big one for me in the ending of the people and the the beings in my life was I lost my dog in October. And that was like the the catalyst for realizing at that point that that ending was like the death of an old life that I could no longer live anymore. So I was still doing my degree at the time. Uh, my dog passed away. I've got these new friends coming in, but I'm still doing um, part of the investment company, right? But during this time, what was happening is I wasn't making any money. And so I started to sell my stuff, right? Because it was very materialistic before. You know, I had a $25,000 mattress and like just shit, right? <laughs> like just. How many thousand dollars were those cubes of marble? Oh, like <laughs> that was my bedside cubes as well. You know, I had like. Eight and ten thousand dollar Balmain jackets and two thousand dollar jeans and like I just why I I spent a lot of money on stuff I didn't need so I realized that this was a 
complete ending of my old self and this externalized accumulation of things that I thought would give me the value that I could bring to the world were now being taken away from me, not because I was being punished, but because a greater version of me was asking to be born and so the frequency of my consciousness was shifting so new circumstances could be created, right? And this is the big thing that I deal with when I'm talking to people about suicide that are suicidal, that they don't get, right, is that a lot of people go through these endings and they're in resistance to it. There's this tug of war of perception that they're going through in resisting this ending so a new version of themselves can be born, but they think that their whole world's burning down, that it's never going to end, and they're trapped. That's what it does feel like. You know, did did you ever find a time during that process where you felt like this is this must be rock bottom? Absolutely. Know, what what was that like, and what did it feel like for you? It was exhausting. Like it was so exhausting. You know, I sunk into a pretty dark depression for a little while, where it's just like, oh my god, when's this going to end? Um, and it was, I remember I, I had basically no money, so selling all my stuff. But through this, the gift now looking back, and one of the things I discovered is that we are beneficiaries of life, and life is trying to gift us new beginnings all the time, but we just don't recognize it. So when I was going through this period, I'd like uh, lost a, and I was saying, I say lost as in not that I'm somehow less for the experience, but this old self was dying off. So, uh, Best friend, a girlfriend cheated on me, um, mom, dad, sister, brother, um, business partner, business, money, all this in my home, my dog, you know, all of this stuff. And I'd lost my sense of self. And um, my tattoo artist and I became really close at that time, which was like the, one of the gifts that I got out of this. But what I started to see was, you know, some days – I and I was really in survival mode, like 10 bucks a day I was living off food and I'd go buy a kilo of really cheap, shitty mints that I couldn't even like put any sauce on or anything like that. And I'd spend my last 10 bucks on that and I'd think something like, you know, this is not, this is a real event. I was leaving the butch, I'd go, fuck, I wish I could just buy some pasta and some pasta sauce to put on this, you know. Here I was, I've eaten at like four or five of the top 10 restaurants in the world in Copenhagen and New York and all this other stuff. And here I am just wanting, you know, yeah. cheap pasta yeah. sauce to put on my mints. At that point, did you kind of regret the actions that you had begun to take or did you feel you, that you had this vision of the future that you wanted to keep working toward? I had no vision of the future at that point, none. And I was just like, why did I have to buy the same pair of Yves Saint Laurent high tops six times that cost <laughs> me a thousand bucks each, you know, and here I can't buy pasta sauce. Mm-hmm. But in those moments when that would happen – I'd find $20, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm like, this is happening, right? So these would happen again and again. So I remember I was selling my Balmain leather jacket, which cost me $8,000, right, for 500 on Gumtree. And um, the person that was buying it fell off. And so someone else bought it for 350 and then I got a refund from the tax department for 150 later that day, the same day that I sold it. So I started to see these patterns where I'm like, someone had messaged me out of nowhere that owed me money and be like, I've got a hundred bucks for you. I've got $200 for you, Rara, whatever. Now, some people might say, you know, why didn't quite a few people said, why don't you just go on Centrelink? And I just said, it's just not something I want to do because I want, if I do that, I'm not learning this lesson, right? There's a lesson here. And I knew there was, but I just couldn't see what was on the other side of this. Um, and so I kept going through things and this trust started to develop. 
that life was going to look after me. And so I got to the point where I was sitting there with uh, my mate, Nara, who's a tattoo artist that I said, <clears throat> we were doing some of the investment stuff together. And I just said, you know what, mate, I can't do this anymore. I said, I can't make another fucking phone call. I can't do it. And I said, I've got to start moving on towards the therapy stuff. This is what I need to do. Um, and then the next day I had my first client. And then within the first week I had three clients and then it's just been settled from then. But the ending of it all was what I realized the big gift is firstly is life has your back. There's no such thing as an ending. It's just a transition. You know, you want to move into a different space because that space, the old self wants to die off and the new self or greater version of you wants to be born because the game is evolution that we have to go through. Not circumstantial comfort, which is why everyone gets exhausted trying to resist a new version of the um, soul that they came here to experience wants to come through as, right? And so, yeah, that was pretty much like it was a long version of like a lot of perceived loss but in that perceived loss, it was all gain because now I've got these beautiful people in my life that I never thought I deserved, um, a sense of self which was given to me through trust of the universe or spirit of God, whatever you want to call it, by honoring myself and saying, I'm okay that this is no longer going to be my life or my identity which I'd built up. I'm okay with what's on the other side of this, which is where I'm at now. Do you think throughout that the most powerful thing was making a decision and then, you know, maybe everything falls into place underneath that decision. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because decisions make us seem like we've got this element of control, but I look at it now and I think how much control do we really have? Because the pieces will move on the chessboard, which is your life in a way that I don't fully understand if you trust it, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you put your, self into this river of trust of life it will look after you and it's almost like is that decision pre-made for you because you can no longer coexist in the current circumstances which are creating the environment for your disharmony mm. so do you get to make that decision or is life just knocking on the door again and again and again until you're forced into that decision yeah. i think life has a way of making you more and more and more uncomfortable until you can't bear it anymore but yeah. people sure can bear a lot of discomfort before they finally break. Oh, <laughs> man. People, I wrote about this the other day, that people are so comfortable in their discomfort that they will do anything to make someone else wrong to prove themselves right about their own inadequacies, which is like they'll go, I can't meet anyone, right? That's a classic one. Like I knew, I'm ne I can never – they'll go on a date and then something will happen, but they'll say, oh, you know, I, can, I knew this wouldn't work out. I knew I couldn't meet anyone good. Well, the very nature of the vibrational quality of your existence that you're putting out there is I'm not good enough, so I'm going to attract someone in to reflect that back to me, that unconscious belief, which I'm attracting in, which is of my own design and my own belief, so then I can say to everyone that I was right. Yeah. You know, which is these are the little endings that you have to have in life is the ending of that victimization mentality that we are the creators of our reality and life is trying to give us opportunities to show us where we're trapped or constrained. Mm -hmm. And if we honor that and, and listen, you know, because most people don't listen, they just wait for their turn to talk, the victim mentality as well. And if we really listen to life and allow it to take us where we need to go for our greatest evolution, we'll see that all the endings 
that come through again and again and again are really gifts for greater advancement of our evolution. Mm. Negative self-talk is such a deeply ingrained habit. I think people would do it so unconsciously and um, without really being able to be aware of the fact that they're doing it. How, mm. how do you... Well, it's automatic. Yeah. How can people get past that? To listen better, for starters. So we don't need to question whether the thoughts are right or whether they're wrong. We need to listen and question if they're even real, right? So most people want to be right. So when we talk, um, and I'll get into where this comes from, which is there's, I'll start with where the negative talk comes from. So how we are as human beings, there's like, there's the human and the being. Human is the limited version, which is the, the meat suit, whatever, that we use as the equipment to experience the world through our senses. And there's the being, which is the soul, which is boundless, right? It's all-encompassing. It's unlimited. It doesn't want to be bound. That's why limits feel constricted. They're uncomfortable. So on the other side of that, the human aspect, there's the I am not and the I am, which is largely used in Indian philosophy or Vedic philosophy. The I am not is developed through a sense of negation, which is a linguistic term. And um, the I am not, when you think of it, it's like if I say to you, don't think about a pink elephant, you start thinking about a pink elephant. So when we're around two, what happens is our parents start to tell us what we shouldn't, shouldn't do. Now, this is in direct opposition with what the child is naturally expressing, which is the limitless soul. It's creative, it's exploratory, it's boundless, it's present, it's fun, it's creative, it's playful, right? But the parent, um, and they're just doing the best they can, is saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Punishment ensues because they're not following the commands of the parent, right? Now the child, through the only lens which they can really see the world, which is uh, fear, sadness, confusion, and rejection, as opposed to their true nature, which is just exploring, they're somehow now compromised, right? And so the parent will continue to discipline. And this is a mild form of trauma and it's a mild form of abuse. Even though the child, the parent wants the best for the child to keep them safe. Now, obviously, if there's like an open fire, you're going to tell your kid not to go play in the open fire. That's pretty reasonable. But when they're like crying or they're throwing a tantrum or whatever, there's this disconnect with the way that a lot, not all, that a lot of parents have the ability to emotionally encapsulate what the child needs to make them feel safe. So the child starts to develop this sense of compromising for love and acceptance. If I don't, if I do act that way, I get punished, which means how I act is now not good enough, right? So they start to think that inherently who they are at an unconscious level is not good enough. So this sets the framework for the first 10 years of life. And if you've got you know, really disciplinarian or narcissistic parents, they will seriously make you modify your sense of self inadvertently just by virtue of who they are, right? And then the game of that is to overcome that later in life. Mm -hmm. So our negative thoughts are then reinforced, not only through parenthood, through school, which is division, competition. Um, They don't make you think for themselves. They take your creative aspect out of you so you can then go into society, get a job, get good marks. Fundamentally, you will be compared to others rather than honored for your unique expression. You know, further ensues more negative talk that I'm not enough. I need to worry about the future. You know, I'll never be good at anything, blah, 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 whatever it is. So then these insidious mechanisms start to 
come out, which are behavioral adaptations like people pleasing, perfectionism, procrastination, control, addiction, whatever it is, which are the result of the underlying negative talk, which has been developed inadvertently through the way that our social system is created. That includes in family too. Like there's an old thing, and my dad used to say it all the time about me and my twin brother, little pig should be seen and not heard. Now, that's his generation, but to me, I think that's a disgusting thing to say to a child. That's a form of abuse. And that was one of the nicer things that he would say to us. Right? Little pigs? Little pigs should be seen and not hurt. Now, he's sort of post-World War II generation, right, which is that kids have no real value except to serve the parents. Difficult time that they grew up in, no real emotional intelligence or anything like that. Um, men aren't supposed to express emotions. They're not supposed to cry. It's like, I'll just get up and get on with it. So he was doing the best he could with the tools that he had, you know? So what happens is these children develop into adults that have never really reconciled the traumatic past as a child. And so the thoughts are in a loop, right? So what I get my clients to do that I work with is when they're noticing their thoughts, most thoughts are spoken in a downward statement, right? So if I walked up behind you, I said, Michelle, you'd think that I know you because it's a commanding tone. But if I walked up and I said, Michelle, they'd be like, oh, that's inquisitive. It's questioning. Does this person know me? So when someone has repetitive thoughts, which we'll get into, I'll say every time you hear that, start to question it. So if you say, I'm not good enough versus I'm not good enough, it creates a little bit of space in the subconscious where that will then start to challenge the belief and so then you can start to see, you'll start to see results change on an outward level based on questioning the belief, which is based in a linguistic construct, which by virtue of its design is bullshit anyway, because it's just words. It's not true that you're not enough. It's just you're telling yourself that, which is based in history. Yeah. So that's how I get people to create a little bit of distance with the thoughts, and that's where it comes from. Mm. I guess just to wind back a moment, like you said about men, for example, mm -hmm. what a transformation in emotional freedom that men have had to try and navigate over the last generation. Mm -hmm. Maybe our fathers weren't able to act in a way of, of such emotional freedom that mm -hmm. we now can. So we perhaps don't even have any role models for that. Um, it's a blank slate yeah. moving forward. The difficult thing now is what I'm seeing is men are really being labeled as toxic just for being a man, mm. you know, and granted, a lot of their actions are not okay. You know, the wolf whistling, the sexual assault, I don't condone any of that. But there are a lot of sensitive, caring, kind men out there that are too afraid to speak up because they get it from both sides that men are inherently toxic. Like we see at the moment this rise of like, labeling something as masculine or feminine, which I don't agree with, right? There's a top, there's a philosophical argument, which is the thing named is not the name thing. So that's a glass that we call a glass, but that's not a glass by virtue of what it is. It's a bunch of atoms spinning and vibrating to come together. But we label it as a glass so we can identify with it. Now, there are elements to it which I just don't buy. I saw this, I can't remember what her name is. She's talking that she couldn't get pregnant because she's too in a masculine. You know, and it's like she's blaming the masculine for inability to get pregnant. I think she said she was too structured or something like that. It's like when we start to associate masculine with negative traits and feminine, which is like, oh, the feminine's receiving, it's, you know, it's healing, it's nurturing. 
I believe in there are fundamental energies of masculine and feminine. And one of the ones I bring in to my sessions is the mother energy of love and acceptance and nurturing. The mother is a nurturer. But when we start to assign things to the masculine, all it's doing is disadvantaging men to speak up even further through what I perceive is almost a bit of toxicity around the viewpoint that is all, they're already, like men are already set back. The 78% of suicides are men. You know, that's because the emotional impact that they're feeling of feeling alone and trapped and unloved and unable to be accepted or emotional, just the fact that they can't be emotional mm. creates this inner conflict which they don't know how to handle. And our society really largely says that everything masculine is toxic and everything feminine is really positive and amazing. Mm. Um and so with men going into that, which is something that is really, I'm really passionate about, like 98% of my clients are women. Um, but I do work in men's groups as well. And I want to help men, uh, especially in the prison system coming out of prison, um, because all those men have had childhood trauma. And then it's layered upon layered as though they're these terrible human beings because they don't have the support, you know? So yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point where that's going. And this dynamic women still feel like they have to be strong and they have to be the head of the household. They have to have everything under control. It's yeah. really hard for them to be vulnerable and to say, you know what, I'm not coping or I need help or, you know, I, I want to begin to understand my thoughts and patterns and yeah. emotions. Mm -hmm. But most men can't even go there. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to go there unless it's, coming from a place of, well, I'm now materially successful, so my worth is now validated. And I was like that. You know, I was like that. I haven't always been like this. I've always been really sensitive and emotional. But growing up in the family that I did, that was largely robbed of me, which I allowed. I just didn't understand that. But I did that. I did the sleeping around. I did the materialistic stuff. I thought I was king of the world, and I wasn't, you know. And so – with men doing that, you know, the only thing that I can do with that is to lead by example and say, and I say this, is that as soon as you're okay with being vulnerable, you're no longer vulnerable, you know, because the ones that are people that are truly vulnerable, the ones are something to hide because they're scared of exposure, which means they're not safe. So they're not embracing who they are as a unique energetic expression of consciousness, which has come here to experience life. Mm -hmm. And so to me, authenticity is true success. If you're really, truly authentic and fully self-expressed without fear of what people think of you, that's freedom to men. And so a lot of men, when I work with them, that are suicidal, right, or women as well, and I'll say to them, you know, the frequency of your consciousness is trying to shift to create new circumstances. So the old you is trying to die off and a greater version of you is trying to be born, yet you're in so much resistance to it because that's your identity, you know, and the way to move through it is through surrender and acceptance mm. that you will be okay. Mm. So you're going to die, but you're just not going to end your life. Mm. And universally, they'll come back and be like, my thoughts are gone after mm. that. Because it's, it's an awareness of understanding of the difficulty in the first place, which shifts the energetic quality of the nature of their existence into something that they now understand. Mm. But do you think as a – in your previous career – that you had to maintain a, a particular shape. So if you were dealing with business partners, dealing with investors, dealing mm -hmm. with um, those kinds of interactions that mm -hmm. you ha uh, had to be um, maintain a more masculine, more 
your less vulnerable position that you yep. found it more difficult to be yourself? Yeah, I had to be the best and greatest airbrushed version of myself and be completely full of shit, which was a co- totally against who I am. But at the time, it was me seeking something outside of myself through the validation of others. So I'd have to be this really sort of airbrushed and polished version of myself. And I'd have the the expensive suits and the expensive car to create an image which is by mechanism of its design manipulative in the first place. You know, it's there to garner something, to garner love and acceptance, to garner material wealth. And it's just a show, you know. It's, it's really just a show. And so that was the thing that wore me out the most was I was in resistance to my authentic self and as we were saying earlier that the knocks on the door get louder from life until it will either make you burn out and you'll hit rock bottom, which is great because you can only go up from rock bottom um, or you can keep going sideways and then it'll just manifest as more disease and more disease. But there was a real freedom that came from dropping the show, dropping the facade, dropping the illusion, you know, and moving through that, of that ending when you get to that point it's really difficult, but nothing in life is created without adversity. And I think Denzel Washington said it. He says, an easy life is the biggest threat to progress, mm. you know. And when we're constantly trying to have an easy life, it's an internal state. It's not external. So the thing I found difficult about having to maintain that was I was in direct conflict with my true authentic self. Mm. And there's a beautiful saying when Michelangelo was asked about David – so David was already in there. I just took away everything that wasn't David. Mm-hmm. So I'd created all these barriers around the David that was in me, the the authentic expression of myself in order to compensate for the fear that I was feeling from not being accepted, which is why we do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So these people that may be feeling like they're in a suicidal position and don't know what to do, don't mm-hmm. know how to get through it, mm-hmm. How would you suggest they find a way to switch on a light or maybe start to stand up and walk up? Yeah, speak to someone. Because what's happening is the internal game or the mechanism inside themselves is trying to shift. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. You can call it energetic, you can, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't need to be spiritual. But what's happening is there is a new version of them that's trying to be born, right? And so people at that point will be in such an internal state of conflict right? An internal state of war. And, you know, I say that people will never, will never have peace in the world while people are at war within themselves, right? And if people don't start to realize that this is an internal game of evolution as opposed to circumstantial comfort and change, then that's where it becomes difficult. So that resistance starts to magnify The circumstances start to get chaotic. They'll lose their business, they'll lose their money, their job, their wife, whatever it is. But they'll want to assign that inner experience to outside of themselves as though they're the victim and that life is going to keep fucking them over because that's just the way it is. And we live in a society that really honors that. You know, like, I mean, one of the sayings that I really can't stand is, hey, it's not personal, it's just business. If you've got to frame that before you do something, you're going to fuck someone over and you're just using it under the guise of competition to make it not personal, you know? And so anyone that's listening to this, don't fucking use that because you're going to hurt someone, 
you know? Just be honest about it. Say, I'm going to be a selfish person and that's what I'm going to do to you. But, like, under the guise of this, it's not personal, it's just business. Like, it's fucking bullshit. But if, when people are going through this circumstance of difficulty within themselves, surrender and acceptance to allowing that is the cooler approach to the resistance which would be generating a lot of friction that will help them navigate that and speak to someone, you know, like when we don't express our emotions, they accumulate over time, right? And the accumulation leads to provocation or aggravation. And then it starts, the body starts to break down, the tissues start to break down. People put on weight, they turn to substances, they turn to whatever it is to ease the suffering, you know, so that suffering becomes greater. The medicine to avoid the suffering becomes more toxic then they start to get into this insidious cycle that life is this horrendous place of struggle and hurt and conflict and resistance that then they want to potentially kill themselves after that, which is just like it's a mechanism as a way to, as a way to get away from suffering, which is disappointing because if we understood that it's just life is trying to give you the warning signs for you to upgrade so you can have a better life and that life is a gift and we're beneficiaries of it, the world, like, suicides drop dramatically. When you come out the other side of suffering, you can also understand that suffering can also be a gift. Totally. Like, life is the, um, life is the friction that polishes the gem that we already yeah. are, yeah. you know? I don't know who said that. I can't remember where it's from. It's not my own saying. I wish it was, but it's true. Like, nothing is born that's worth it without adversity mm. and adversity is often the catalyst for some beautiful results mm. after it if it was always easy life would be boring mm. i say this to clients I said, they're like what's going to happen by the end of this and i said i don't know because you're looking through a different lens of life and i can't guarantee what's going to happen but fundamentally you should be changed but i don't know what life looks like on the other side of that but um going through this process of adversity, imagine if I said that at that time, that's it for the rest of your life. You're 35, 40 years old, you're not going to have any anxiety, Hashimoto's going to be sorted, you won't have whatever it is. But that's it for you. There's no more growth. How would you feel? And I'm like, I'd be bored. You know, like I wouldn't want that because there's a real joy in discovering almost like this, there's a childlike joy to it in taking on this new task. Um, or this new exploration of a new habit or a new relationship or a new phase of life. And the more we embrace that is the more beautiful it becomes, but the degree that most people look at it as is suffering, which creates the resistance to creating new circumstances, and so they see it as too hard, mm. you know. And when we look back always at the difficult things we've been through, most of the time people will go, that was the best thing that ever happened to me, and I wouldn't change it. Yeah. So, And like we said, it's really easy to not listen to something. Suffering really makes you stop and need to stand up and listen to yourself or whatever's going on. Yeah. And people will want to defend their own ideas, which are usually secondhand ideas most of the time anyway. Um, and when you start to think of yourself and take responsibility as though the inner world is your own responsibility and everything's just a reflection of the parts you either need to reconcile of which the byproduct is freedom that's basically it right otherwise we just keep suffering you know it's like love um i'll say to people 
you can never be in love with anyone. And I've said this for a number of years, but no one likes to hear it because we have this idea that love is puppy dog and Hollywood, right? That, what was it, Jerry Maguire, I think it was, You Complete Me or something. And it's like, that's such a disservice to the aspect of what real love is, right? And so I say to people that we can never be in love with anyone. They can only be the mechanism which reveals our true essence, which is an internal experience, versus the reason or the source of it, which is then rooted in suffering and attachment. Because it's like if we look at Hollywood love, it's like I need to get something. Okay, cool, now I've obtained it. But now I've obtained it, now I'm attached to it. And now I'm attached to it, then our suffering lies in that because that can go at any minute. And now I'm going to be in the same position, repeating the same patterns to seek it outside of myself in the first place when I need to take responsibility for my inner world, right? But a lot of people just like to blame everyone else for their stuff because it's easier, Mm. quote-unquote easier. Mm. But when you get on the other side of it and realize that my inner state is my own responsibility, you know, it can be a paradise or a prison, I don't want to live in a prison internally. You know, the mental constructs that we create for ourselves by blaming someone else and not taking responsibility that's exhausting to me. I'd rather just be like, look, this is me. I don't care what you think because you're going to piss people off in life. People are not going to like you. But that's only because you're showing them a part of themselves that they don't like about themselves as opposed to it being about you. So when we look at the world through that lens that, you know, um, people are reflecting back to us, when I'm triggered, there's a treasure there, you know, or I'm activated. It's like, what is that part of me that I can go into? And going back to the endings, and that thing no longer controls me anymore, so there's an ending to my suffering around the thing which I thought was because of someone else, you know? Speaking of that, when we often like to have a harsh response to people who have done the wrong thing by us or who have made a mistake, but we forget Mm -hmm. that just like us, these people are learning how to be better. They're evolving in life and themselves and they're not always going to do the right thing and they're not always going to be the best person. But um, as we would want to be forgiven, we must, uh, we must forgive and let go of the people who have wronged us. Yeah. I, I don't really like the term forgiveness because I think like if we look back at the things that people might do to us, right, and they work to our benefit, then who's to say they did anything wrong in the first place? So I would come more of the aspect of no judgment and love and acceptance because that person is doing the best they can with the tools that they have. And you can't really blame something for what they're oblivious to. So if someone's acting unconsciously, they're not intentionally trying to hurt someone else. They're just operating out of their own hurt. You know, so when someone tries to hurt me, they're just hurting themselves, you know, because firstly, it doesn't hurt me. Secondly, it's about them. So I was working with um, a client of mine and she was like, I've got this book. It's all about forgiveness. And I said, I don't believe in forgiveness because if I look back, everything that happened was for my benefit. So who am I to say they did anything wrong? Well, yeah. You know, so that's the way I look at forgiveness because it almost makes us the ones that determine if someone is then allowed the freedom based on my opinion of them, you know, which is I'm not a really big fan of. Yeah, Yeah, I I understand where you're coming from from that perspective, but maybe, you know, when people are in of another mindset where they just want to be a victim or are in the habit of being a victim, Mm -hmm. they love to, I suppose, place blame on other people for every way in which they've been wronged. 
They do, yeah, because that justifies their own inner experience, right? So their inner experience is one of conflict and hurt or pain and anger, and they just want to assign that to someone else. Because what will happen is life is bringing them the circumstances to overcome that. My mum was like that. She's like, oh, everything's so hard and everything's so difficult. I'm like, no, it isn't. It's purely a perception. Like, what's difficult? What's hard? You know, but she created so many barriers around peace and freedom that she expected everyone else to do it for her. Like, super, like, delusional and, uh, you know, this grandiose attitude as though she was the Queen of England and everyone should serve her. But she was just still a hurt little girl that was not getting the love that she wanted, so she sought that outside of herself. And so she developed more narcissistic tendencies in order to compensate for that because she was just hurting on the inside, you know. But her state was of victimization to the nth degree, so much so I haven't even seen it again in life um, as the way she did it. And she didn't want anyone else to be happy, you know, like me and my twin brother. I don't know why I copped it the most in the family from her, but had she not been exactly who she was by virtue of not being the parent that I wanted versus the parent that I needed, I wouldn't be who I am now. So I could sit there and hold resentment towards her as someone that was hyper-abusive. She tore me down really in massive ways, you know, like as a four- or five-year-old kid telling me I was ugly and I'm a piece of shit and that, like, I'm going to kill my father for playing out in the yard because he had a heart condition and that that she hopes I get cancer so I know what it's like, stuff like that, like really horrible shit. Now, I could sit there easily and say, you're the reason for my pain, but she might have been the catalyst for my inner awakening to show me that I would never end up like that. So by her being who she was, I'm now who I am. So I look back with acceptance and say, she's a beautiful soul that was damaged as a human or doing the best she could, and I have nothing but love and compassion for her because I came into her life to have the experience with her so I could free myself so then I can free other people. So if she wasn't exactly who she was, I wouldn't be sitting here with you now. So... That's the difference I have around forgiveness versus um, acceptance. Has this understanding of how people um, obtain their behavior through their trauma, has this made you want to come back to your family at all? No, no. People ask me this all the time and they're like, oh, but you're so loving and accepting. And I said, yeah, so I'll give you an example. You've got a friend that's female. She's got a partner and they have a five-year-old son together because a lot of people say, oh, they're family, you know, it's family. And so she's got a partner, she's been with him for, say, 10 years, they've got a five-year-old son. He comes home once a month and beats the shit out of her because he's drunk and then beats up the kid. Are you going to tell the woman and the child to stay in that? No, right? There's no difference between that for the situation I would be in because my parents were like that emotionally, right? So if I love and honor myself, then I'm not going to go and put myself into a situation where people are going to try and tear me down. Even though they couldn't do it, but it's such a state of resistance that my, I believe there's karmic, karmic paths that we take. And my one with that is just done. That's it. So when I realized that because I don't have any resistance to it, that I accepted it, that the, any of the energetic load left me and that I don't need to go back and revisit that. That's mm-hmm. done. It's like going back to, you know, an ex girlfriend or like they're just people. You know, they're just people. Like, if we look at it from a bigger concept, we're all one. We all come from the same place. We're all one family, you know. And so, I don't wish any ill will on them. 
but for me to exist as the person that I am now, I don't want to welcome anyone in or be or put myself into an environment where I'm just going to be doubted, put down, bullied, etc., things like that. Mm. So, mm. yeah, so there's been no real – or none at all. I don't really think about them, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's good to open people's minds to the idea that they don't have – they have – they don't have to be obligated to anybody um, right. to whom they are blood related. Yeah, you don't. Uh, and I say it to everyone. I said you're under no obligation to stay in a system that will continually try to victimize you. Yeah. You know, just because I could go and survive prison, am I going to put myself in there? Mm. No. You know, just because the hot plate I could put my hand on and I'd recover, am I going to keep putting my hand on a hot plate? Mm. What's the point? You know what I mean? And so. That's what I liken to the family system. You know, they're very complex structures. And until you really understand yourself, I don't, I didn't need that because most people stay in families because of sense of security, um, and obligation, right? And we've, that generation is like, um, you've got to look after your parents when they get old. And my parents used to say to me, you know, we used to put you through school. We used to do all this. I'm like, you chose to have a child take responsibility for that. And someone even said a little while ago, I didn't want to have kids. Um, now I'm open to it. But um, she said, well, who's going to look after you when you get older? And I said, that's the dumbest reason I've ever heard to have a child because it's purely self-serving. And people want to, and this goes back to the validation and things like that, is that um, people want to have kids because they want to fill a hole within themselves, right, that they haven't reconciled. Um, or to so someone looks after them when they're older. You know, these things are... No wonder families, they don't operate well because they're coming from a point initially that something's missing, then the child should give that to them. They're putting way too much expectation on the child, for starters, to make the parent happy or fulfill a void within them. So that child is now automatically at a disservice as having to fill the role of a caretaker for a parent's emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, and I deal with this a lot where... I'll go back to childhood where a five or six-year-old will have to pull the mother out of the shower because she's a drunk, you know, or the kid will have to be the caretaker and, like, make dinner for a four-year-old little brother while the mom's out partying, you know? So having that child, like having the Balmain jacket or the Rolex watches, Mm. you know, it might you might feel like it's what you need to do, Mm. but it might not necessarily make you feel whole and complete. That's like, you know, it's infinite growth on finite resources, that stuff. It's like, I can't, I don't know who said this either, but you can never get enough of something that almost works, right? It's like addiction, shopping addiction, whatever it is. Like the underlying belief, which is creating your suffering, which is of your own creation, is inadequacy. There's not enough clothes in the world that's going to reconcile that belief. There's not. And so our society is built on that as though I'll be satisfied by something outside of myself. Some people do it through clothes, sex, alcohol, drugs, children, you know, and then they put it outside of themselves as though that child has to fulfill their emotional needs, which is why, and this is super common, so many children are traumatized. The parent is still a traumatized child that they haven't reconciled into the present moment so they can give all the love to the child, but then they see that child as the source of the love that they're trying to reconcile within themselves, which makes it really difficult. And so then they then that's why families become toxic because the parents haven't healed their childhood. 
they're still carrying their trauma. They project that onto the child or they put in what's called fantasy debt where they try and make the child live the fantasy that they never came up to, which is just like it's basically creating a child as a little robot version of yourself versus a soul that's come here to learn its own experiences. And obviously a parent then has a a greater element of control over that being rather than Mm. perhaps themselves where they may not have a great deal of control. Exactly. So the parents operate control and the child becomes a people pleaser because it's always thinking that it has to live up to the parents' expectations. Mm -hmm. So then they develop other mechanisms of perfectionism, right? Perfectionism underneath that fundamentally says I'm not enough. They set targets so high and so ridiculous that they know they'll never reach it. So even if they fail, it's like, yep, cool, I've just confirmed the belief I'm not enough anyway and you you wouldn't be able to get there. It's like people that have these, you know, delusional thoughts from their trauma. It's like people starting businesses and then within a month they're like, I'm going to make half a million dollars a month. It's like, just slow your roll. But they've essentially had expectation put on them from their parents that have been way too high And they can't live up to that. So then they develop these behavioral adaptations to go out into the world, which they can never fulfill, which they're unconscious to. So now in your new career, how do you help these people? In what sense? Which which person? So <laughs> well, all of look, them? Just, I mean, you know the kinds of people that yeah. you work with the most so you can introduce that and, and discuss the kinds of tools yeah. and means that you can use. So I work into the subconscious most of the time because this is where it sits, right? Um, the subconscious is they have these linguistic constructs or programs that are designed which are part of being human. So most people will come to me for one thing, but it will be something else completely unrelated which is controlling them. So it might be, um, you know, someone, I'll tell you the, the example we we're talking about before. She came to me and she hadn't had a period for seven years, but she'd had a breakup in a relationship and she was 39 or 40, something like that. Sorry if you're listening. Um, I can't remember your age. Um, it's around that mark and she thought it was a really last chance. And so we got back into it and she'd had some childhood stuff come up around adoption, right? And so she's walking around with this narrative based in language in the subconscious, which I got back to through exploring the triggers that come up for her. So she hadn't had a period for seven years. I'm like, okay, so you're giving up for adoption. And we got to that. And then I said to her, I said, you know, you want to have a child. Do you think you could have give that child up? She's like, absolutely no way. And I said, okay, so your mother gave, your biological mother gave you up to adopted parents so she could give you, so they could give you the life that she never could. So she loved you so much she made the ultimate sacrifice for you. And so she starts crying at this point and then we got into this other stuff around her parents which I won't go too far into now but her narrative was saying that she's worthless, that she's worth giving up. So what that says to her body is that she's giving up the idea of being a mother because she's not going to be a good one which would be inherited through epigenetics from her biological mother. Epigenetics are traits, memories, habits that are passed down through DNA. And so she carried this around with her and it started at the end of a breakup seven years prior to this and she was thinking that she was getting old, she's 32, that she's never going to have a kid. And so she kept dating the same guy till she was 39, 40 years old, and she really wanted to have a family. And so by restructuring the way that she related to that event in her unconscious, is her biological mother actually loved her so much that she gave her a better life that she could never give her that she couldn't do herself. 
So that was the ability to reconcile that through language and looking at the event, which was like controlling her unconsciously. What happened is the tears came up. She was bawling her eyes out. What happens with that is that's emotion collapsed into feeling. So time actually dissolves at that point. And what happens is the energy that moves, her frequency now starts to shift, right? So the frequencies that's trapped in the body from her resistance is now dissipated. It's dissolved. It's gone. So she rang me within an hour and she'd gotten her periods. So the energetics that her abandonment or worthlessness was manifesting in her ability to reproduce. And so what I'll do is I'll look for, so she, that's a perfect example. So she came to me about a breakup, but her underlying problem was that she was worthless, right? And so I wound that back and reverse engineered it into memories of childhood that had come up, went into the linguistic constructs and went into the narrative. Then we shifted that. So we reframed it for her to get her to see that she was actually loved and not worthless. That belief was then dissolved that she was worthless. The byproduct of that was her feminine reproductive system started to come back online. I also think that the female reproductive system is so much more intelligent than we can give it credit for. Yeah. And maybe if she was with the wrong person, she simply wasn't meant to have a child with that person. Correct. Yeah. Um, And she would have been choosing emotionally unavailable partners because deep in the subconscious, she didn't really want to be a mother. Right, She was saying that she did because she was worthless. She thought she was worthless. So what she wanted to do was she thought that that child would give her the worth that she thought was a real construct of which she was operating out of. She just didn't know. So she'd bring in emotionally unavailable men because she didn't really want her needs met in the first place Mm. because she wasn't meeting her needs. Mm. So, you know, I say this as well, you know, that if you don't honor yourself, why the fuck should anyone else? You know, you keep bringing people in to reflect that back to you so you can overcome it. And then when you realize, when you start to meet your own needs, you won't need anyone else and that's when the person will show up. That's the thing. Yeah. So it's um, the body is way more intelligent than we can ever comprehend. And when you say for somebody to start meeting their own needs on a grassroots level, what mm-hmm. does that look like? I would look at the things that you're doing firstly that are taking up space, which you don't want to do because that's not meeting your needs. So whenever I get someone um, come to me, the first thing I do is write, what are the three things that are taking up the most space in your life? And what are the three things that you feel are limiting you the most? It could be anything like someone will be like, I'm doing a job that I hate or, you know, I say yes all the time to people or whatever it is. And the limiting beliefs will be things like I'm never going to meet a partner or I can never get the job that I want or not smart enough or whatever it is. And always when I tell people to create the space, stuff starts to come in. You know, there was one woman I was working with where I said, what's the thing that's creating my space? And we'd already done a couple of sessions together. This woman had crippling anxiety, like a 12 out of 10 constantly all the time. It's like a knot in her stomach. And we did three sessions. It's now gone. And on the third session, I said, what's the thing creating the most space in your life, taking it up that you don't like? She has my work. And I said, all right, we're going to quit now while we're on, while we're in this <laughs> session. She was writing out, um, and I was telling her how life will gift you circumstances when you start to trust it. So she had to pay off, I can't remember how much it was, um, to get out of her contract at work. She was writing the email and she won a cash prize while I was doing it on Instagram. And it was like, this is what happens in that. Now, that's the more extraordinary If that's not the universe, you know, smacking you up the side of the head, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we reversed it. So, I showed her evidence of that. So, when she was going to quit, 
six months ago, it was like a couple of thousand and within the same month, she got a tax return for the same amount, but she didn't end up quitting. And I said in the COVID era, which is now, that she got not laid off but suspended in her other job because they couldn't have people coming in. She was a nanny one day a week. They took her on full-time and she actually makes just a little bit more than what her previous job did and they asked her to go full-time. So I'm like, life is looking after you. Do you see this? Like you've you've got one perceived loss, perceived loss, not actual loss, and the, the nanny that you were for one day a week is now giving you full-time work and you're making more money than the job that you hated. Yeah. So I said, we're going to quit that job and we're writing the email and then the But people the are so afraid out. to lose things that they actually desperately want to lose. <laughs> Like a job that they hate. Yeah. It's it's strange. You know, I think we were talking about this um, when I got here that I go to the city to see my naturopath who's a body worker and um, I go in in the late afternoon deliberately because I like to see people running away from their job. They're literally sprinting to get the bus. And I'm like, you're sprinting to get away from the job that you go into to make the money so you can survive and that's the state that you're in all the time that you want to sprint for the bus. Now- Sprinting for the bus, fine, if you want to get home. But, I mean, the next one's probably going to be, what, 20 minutes maximum later, right? It's not going to be that bad. But then you're so desperate to get away from the thing that you're doing to make money for, which is keeping in your, keeping you in survival. But then you'll defend and say, I can't leave that job, which just continues this insidious process of, like, I hate my life. I think a huge thing that keeps coming up for people is fear of the unknown. Mm. So they don't want to quit their job they don't want to change careers because what is beyond that is an unknown and that's very uncertain and makes people very uncomfortable that's a really good i could talk about this for hours but lie the very structure of life is uncertainty because i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow do you i don't know what's going to happen this afternoon yet what we do is we can't actually fear the unknown because you, you can't fear something that you don't know all you can do is drag your fear or worst case scenario into the future and say that's what exists in the unknown and that's what I don't want so I'll resist it but you can't live in the future but on the other end of the spectrum the unknown also holds unlimited potential it's pure in, possibility it's pure possibility anything could happen you could be anywhere you could do anything it, you know it, I, I don't see why that has to be people dwell on the negative but the spectrum within the unknown is boundless. infinite that's that's the quantum realm, you know, mm. f- the fifth dimension, whatever you want to call it, you know, where if you're matching your frequencies, so the way it's postulated is that everything exists as a wave until you match the frequencies of the quantum mechanics and quantum stuff that I'll bring into my work as well. And so when people change the subconscious, right, the energetics become released. Fundamentally, they're a different energetic being. What happens is they can now imagine a life of freedom, that freedom will then start to match an experience in the future that they can start to imagine now without the pain of the past. So their future and their dimension becomes completely different. So what happens is because they start to believe they can operate without pain and suffering, they start to develop a life of love and vitality. In the quantum realm, the wave will collapse into particle and match that existence. So when I was doing the email with that woman, she was starting to know what it's like that she can now honor herself right? So instantly while we're writing the email, she gets a cash prize, right? So that's how quickly it can manifest when you're committed to extraordinary circumstances. But what happens, and that's the soul, like living from the soul level where it's pure possibility, it's exploratory, it's creative, everything can happen. 
But people from the ego want to drag their concerns based on past history into the future as though the future is somewhere to something and somewhere to fear. But you can't live in the future. You can't. You can think about it and you can put your mind there, but I can't live three days ahead of now. I can only live now. And so people are living in the past projecting a future that they don't want and then they wonder why they're exhausted, you know, and it really comes down to who's got the best imagination. Don't they say uh, most of the things we worry about will never happen? Never happen. I saw that on a fucking insurance ad, a GIO insurance ad. People getting out of a car, the house was on fire, there's a burger, there was whatever. And said most of the things you worry about will never happen. That's not good for insurance sales. <laughs> oh, it's just like, but it's like telling you right to your face. It's like you don't know this. And I don't buy into that. And so, again, I'll go back to my mum. Like she used to do that all the time, just instill fear in me all the time. And I was traveling a lot. And she said, I'd be getting travel insurance. I said, no, I don't care. She goes, what if you lose stuff? I go, I'll buy more. And she's like, well, and I was had an expensive watch. And she's like, well, what about the watch on your wrist? I'm like, what about it? She goes, well, what if someone tries to rob you? And I'm like, well, they'll have to break my arm to get it off. And she goes, well, what if they've got a gun? I said, well, then the watch is the last thing I'm going to worry about. (laughs) You know, but it's that constant trying to push a narrative of fear, which is generated through us by our media. The media is very fear-mongering, but... She's living in a state of fear all the time, which is when people want to control things, they're in a state of fear, right? When you're in a state of fear, the underlying part of that is I can't trust. The mechanism, which we call quote-unquote mental illness, is then anxiety, which is not a mental illness. It's it's rubbish. It's garbage. It's not a mental illness. All it is is that you can't trust. That's it. You start to trust life, and this is what I get a lot of my clients to do that I work with, is when you develop that quality of trust, which I don't fully understand. I don't know why or how it works. And I like that because I don't, some things I just don't want to know how they work. But this, when they start to develop a quality of trust without the anxiety that's guiding them and controlling them, they start to see this evidence show up. And the evidence has been there in their past the whole time, but they're just basing a threat in the future to make themselves feel safe, even though they're not feeling safe. Do you know what I mean? And so it's this insidious process that people go into again and again and again and again around fear dragging into the future and then they wonder why the same circumstances keep showing up because they're literally projecting the things they don't want which then come into their life Mm. you know so it's if you have a blank slate the past doesn't exist you know it doesn't exist you cannot reconcile it yeah we always look back to try and reconcile it and then we don't want that to happen again and so we project it into the future case in point depression in the past anxiety in the future depression is sadness that hasn't been integrated into acceptance and anxiety is I can't trust what's going to happen. But you don't really have a choice. You know, it's the conversation we have with that which creates our suffering versus the difference in reality, which is what's happened. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot to take in, but that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's just how life works. Yeah. You know, so once you get past that, you'll see that everything is working to your benefit. The resistance that you have to it is the problem. You know, a lot of people think they want to create new beliefs, you know, and like I want to believe that I'm this, a certain person, but it's like to create a good life is not about creating new beliefs. It's about understanding and dissolving the belief that is in the way of the inner experience that you want of that freedom which you're seeking outside of yourself in the first place, right? And most people don't get that. Yeah. Your journey would have helped to strengthen your trust. All of it did. I only have trust because of the journey, but I didn't have trust prior to that. But any time something comes up where I've just got to let go, I'm like, 
whatever is working for my benefit and I'm just going to let it go and I don't buy into it. Yeah. So. So how are you different as a person now to when, uh, you know, before this ending? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I just, I guess once I started to figure out how life works, you know, these mechanisms we have and all that, it gives you a more intimate relationship with yourself. Thus, what will extend from that is a more intimate relationship with reality. And so what happens is that will manifest out in the way that you work. So I've found my passion, my purpose, my path, and my gift. So what that means is that there's nothing inside of me that somehow feels fundamentally void or like I need something outside of myself anymore. And now the extension of that is the work that I do. And so that's where it changed, where it was like I saw everything outside of myself as the thing that I need, whereas it's an internal game. Everything is internal. And when you really get that and understand that, you want, you'll just let things come and go because life is in flux. It's a truth. Life changes all the time. And so I'm perfectly okay with what is for the most part. You know, I still have my emotions. They just don't swing so wildly. You know, I saw a woman the other day that I think she got broken up when she was just crushed. Right, like totally crushed, like as if her family had been, she'd lost kids or something like that. And I kind of looked at it and I just went, ah, oh, that's like such a deep feeling. But I don't miss that because that's being, you know, assigned to an external experience, which means she's completely out of control or unconscious to that. So the difference between it is that the outside world can't give you what the inside world does, but the inside world will manifest the outside world once you get fully in touch with it. Then you're in harmony with life. When you're in harmony with life, that's where everything's beautiful because it's like it's a peaceful journey through the river of life, which is magic. Being in harmony with life, I, I don't think a lot of people can say that about their lives. No, neither. I, I agree. <laughs> um, but you sound, you, you seem like you have a, a great sense of peace, and I don't think many people could say that about their lives either. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> But that comes back to trust. Comes back to trust and understanding that, like questioning the validity of the thoughts that are make giving rise to the experience mm-hmm. of either separation or conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I say, "Oh, you know, I'd love some company," or "I want to meet a woman," or "I'd love to have a family," I question the thought and I say, "But I'm fine right now. That's not here. When it's supposed to come, if it's meant to come, then it'll show yeah. up." Which comes back to having that intimate relationship with life because yeah. if like an intimate relationship with anybody, you trust them, you trust that they're going to do the best thing for you, that they have your best interests at heart. Yeah. Um, and that's the same with life. You know, life is constantly working for you and bringing you what you need at the, yeah. at the right time. So how can you not be at peace? I, for one, would much rather trust the universe than my own head. Yeah. That's the thing. Us with our individual intelligence thinks we know better than life. Mm. Life knows what it's doing. It doesn't make mistakes. Mm. It doesn't. It never has. It never will. It's in a constant process of pure expression, which is always the right thing for our benefit. It's always about evolution, but we think as humans, we don't even understand our own fucking body. We don't even understand the nature of dreams or how memory works. Mm. How could we possibly sit there and try and control nature? It's ridiculous. What's the percentage of the brain that we don't understand the function of? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a fair chunk in there and we don't know what it does. Yeah. We don't even – we think like we're separate from one another. I mean, we don't even understand that we're in and of itself a fundamental 
extension of nature, but we look at it as though we're not. We try to control it, you know, like like our immune system thing around vaccines, like as if our immune system needs things that our immune uh, – sorry, that the vaccines will do things that our immune system can't or won't develop, our evolution, you know, it's – we think that we know how memory works. We're all, we're all, no one really knows what the fuck is going on, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, I think that I figured out through my life and experience that the way that our individuality works through the psyche or the personality with the constructs and how to overcome them, because you go through one thing and you see a different result. And it's like the way to healing is not through allopathic medicine or symptomatic relief. It's through shifting the energetics in the body that creates a new expression that energy or um, symptom will start to dissipate very quickly. It's just physics. That's it. Like you're in resistance, you create heat in the system, that will manifest in the way it wants to release itself. The body doesn't want to hold on to it. Yet we, with our individual experience, think we know better than the, the body trying to regulate itself, you know, or heal itself. The body heals itself all the time. The body is a self-healing machine. We don't fully understand it. We can only try and fix the mm. symptoms. Right. We're like, why the hell do I have psoriasis? I yeah. need to, you know, put this topical cream, cream on, it, on it, right? Mm. But all that is, is what that comes from is like, that's compromising for love and acceptance, which leads to self-judgment. That judgment will invariably start to produce emotional mechanisms of force control, manipulation, domination, eventually leading to resignation and disappointment, which will want to travel through the body in the way that heat wants to escape, which is liver, gallbladder, eyes, and skin. So it's just trapped friction in the body that hasn't been processed through the emotional component of the event, which is creating that in the first mm. place. We could do a whole another episode of <laughs> um, the, the underlying causes, causes yeah. symptoms in the yeah. body. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's um, all emotional. Um, I mean, look, if people want to know more, they can come and see you later. Yeah. Um, yeah, they can. Yeah, we'll give them the contacts. Finally, I just want to ask some of your takeaway life lessons in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. um, ones that I want to impart or my own ones? I guess whatever you feel strongest about if it comes from your own experience. Yeah. So the first thing is that mental illness to me is not real. I don't buy it. I've seen too many cases now where people have solved things through dealing with the emotional component underneath. Um, so that's one thing. Anxiety and depression to me is not mental illness. It's mm -hmm. just it's an emotional component. It's a mental psoriasis. Correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a bodily response anyway. You know, um, so that's my that's my, one of my ones. Trust life. Don't trust your thoughts, you know, because they'll, there's a disharmony there. And that it's where we are part of a collective machine that we don't fully understand. And the more you can trust, the more relief you'll find and don't hold on to the past or into the future. Cause it's all an internal experience and don't externalize that. That'd be the, that'd be the biggest things. Some pretty good tips. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you want to, uh, uh, tell people how to find you? Instagram's best. It's uh, at pure Jaguar, P-U-R-E, Jaguar like the cat, um, or my website, jaguar-heart.com. Thank you so much cool. for your time Thank and you. your wisdom. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Please share this story with anyone you feel may benefit from hearing it. Or if you or someone you know have your own story to share, feel free to drop me an email at m 